Well, we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark 6. Uh, We are in verses 45 to 56 today. Mark 6, 45 to 56. And I'll start by reading the text. This is God's Word. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there, and as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was, and wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for this particular story where Jesus reveals himself in his power to us and says something profound about who he is. And Lord, this is perhaps the most important truth that we need to come to terms with in our lives. And so wherever we are today, Lord, listening to this message, reflecting on your word here in Mark chapter 6, I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. Lord, if there are people that don't yet know you, they, they're, they're wrestling with who Jesus is, Lord, would you reveal yourself to, to them today through your word? Show them who you are, Lord Jesus. For the rest of us who who know you, acknowledge you, and are seeking to follow you, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of things we know, and Lord, help us to live them out. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin with a serious topic today in the introduction, but I I want to start off with a little levity. And so I'm going to hit you with a dad joke. Okay, are you ready for this? What lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? Anyone? A nervous wreck. All right. So, again, dad joke, cheesy little pun. I'm a dad, so I own it. Well, regardless of whether or not you got a little snicker out of that, the idea of a nervous wreck is no laughing matter. It's no laughing matter. I don't have to tell you that anxiety and other mental health issues are skyrocketing today. Dr. Robert Leahy is an award-winning professor of psychology at Cornell. He's written numerous books, and a book that he wrote about a decade ago is called Anxiety Free. And uh, in this book, through his research, he shows that rates of overall anxiety have increased dramatically in the last 50 years. 
No surprise to us. In fact, he says that the average child, the average child in 2009 when he published the book exhibited the same level of anxiety as the average patient did in the 50s. He indicates that nearly 30% of all people will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lifetime. And there are, of course, numerous factors for this, numerous reasons that contribute to this. He, he mentions issues like separation from extended family. We just have thin relationships compared to previous generations. He mentions loss of community, uncertain employment, threats of terrorism, uncertain futures, high medical costs, immersion in technology, and many others. And it hasn't slowed down. It's only accelerated since he published the book. Our own Mo Hanna in his ACE class last month shared um, some information from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health administered by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And this study found that serious psychological distress, which includes feelings of anxiety and hopelessness, Serious psychological distress has jumped 71% among 18 to 25-year-olds in the last 10 years, from 2008 to 2017. And all of this is before COVID-19 hit. Leahy summarizes the issue by saying, we live in the age of anxiety. The age of anxiety. He says, we have become a nation of nervous wrecks a nation of nervous wrecks. It's an interesting way of putting it. There certainly is much to be uncertain about, and so how do we deal with the stresses and the pressures of contemporary life? Our story today shows us the disciples uh, in another challenging situation, but Jesus uses that situation to show them an important truth about who he is. And Jesus is pointing out through this story, through this action that he takes on this lake at that time in history, he's showing us the difference that it makes to understand who he is, the difference that that can make in our own lives. He reveals himself to his disciples in a dramatic way in order to comfort them and in order to give them even more reason to trust him in the challenges of life. But just like us so often, the disciples didn't fully get it yet. They're in process. They know Jesus can do impossible things. They've seen him do those things, but they fail to apply that knowledge to their present situation. Isn't that our problem too? So often, right? We know a lot of things in our head. We affirm correct doctrines about who Jesus is, but we don't always apply that knowledge to our hearts in the day-to-day -day moments of our lives in our present situation. And so what I want us to see today is this. Faith is recognizing who Jesus is and acting on it. Recognizing who Jesus is and acting on it. So let's unpack what this means as we work through the story. First, faith is recognizing who Jesus is. This passage follows immediately on the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which Peter preached on two weeks ago. It had been a long day for Jesus and the disciples. We saw previously in Peter's sermon that the disciples were exhausted. 
They had just returned from their own short-term missions trip. They, they had rowed across the lake in, a, in an attempt to get away from the crowds, to get some much-needed R&R. But the crowds chased them around the lake, and Jesus spent the rest of the day ministering to them, teaching, healing, uh, before the miraculous feeding. And as soon as it was over, again, a long day, as soon as it's over, Jesus graciously sends his disciples ahead of him across the lake again, and, and he dismisses the crowd himself. But instead of joining them, as soon as he was done with that, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he, Jesus longed to connect to his father after such a long, exhausting stretch of ministry. And, and he clearly had plans for his disciples by sending them out on the boat, on the lake, by themselves ahead of him. And so while he's on the mountain praying, he could see down on the lake the progress, the slow progress they were making in the boat uh, across the lake. And verse 48 tells us, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And from the Gospels of John and Matthew, we know that the sea was rough because the wind and the waves were battering the boat, right? So you can just imagine the scene. They're just, uh, just rowing like crazy and making no progress, just exerting themselves. They're having a hard time of it. They don't seem to be in any real danger like they were during the earlier storm that we read about in chapter 4, but it had to be a miserable experience after a long, exhausting day. And so, the text says, shortly before dawn, literally in the Greek, at the fourth watch of the night, sometime between three and six in the morning, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And so, in the middle of the night, at the darkest hour, when they're most exhausted, Jesus sees their need and he comes to them, walking on the Sea of Galilee. Now, use your imagination. Try to put yourself in the scene, right? They're out on this middle of the big lake, hours from shore. The wind is whipping up all around them, stirring up giant waves so much so that they can make no progress against uh, the current. And Jesus simply walks across it all. Despite the wind, despite the waves, despite the water itself, Jesus makes his way across the lake as if, he's, as if he's walking through the hills on dry land. What's going on here? Jesus, recognize, Jesus is weaving together several important Old Testament truths to say something about himself to the disciples. This is not just a simple event. This is full of symbolism from the Old Testament. Most of Jesus' miracles rescue people from some great physical danger, from demons or from hunger or for sickness, or earlier we read from the storm on the, on the sea. But he gives his disciples a sign here of his enormous power, not because they're in danger of dying, but simply to teach them something about who he is. He gives his disciples this sign. One commentator pointed out that this story is a good illustration of the life of discipleship. The disciples find themselves in a hard situation, not because they had deviated from God's will, 
but precisely because they were following God's path for them, and it lay through the waves to the shore on the other side. God doesn't keep his disciples from the storms of life. He intends to use the storms of life for our good. So what's Jesus teaching them? Well, first, in the Old Testament, God himself is depicted as the only one who walks on the waters. So, for example, Job describes God's glory at creation by saying, He, God alone, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. I I love the way uh, Job says it. God treads on the waves of the sea. A few verses later, Job adds, Behold, he passes by me. Mark picks up on that and adds that Jesus was about to pass by them in verse 48. It's not a throwaway phrase. And it's not an indication that Jesus actually meant to pass them by and to meet them on the shore on the other side. Jesus is doing the same thing here that he does with his disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you remember that story. After his resurrection, it says in Luke 24 that he acted as if he was going farther. But he really only did that in order to reveal something about himself to these disciples on the road. It was not that Jesus intended to leave them behind. It was because of their need that he came out to them on the lake. Mark had just told us that he went out to them. No. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus wanted them to experience something about himself. This statement about passing by them is an intentional bridge to another time that God is described as traveling through the sea. Deep in the collective consciousness of the Israelites was their remembrance of having been delivered from Egypt under Moses by passing through the Red Sea. Isaiah 43 reflects back on that experience. It describes God as making a path through the waters. It says in Isaiah 43, 16, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Psalm 77 takes this same theme. It says something similar. Verse 19, your path, God, led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, your, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses And Aaron. The Old Testament shows us that God alone treads on the waves of the sea, and God led Israel out through the sea in the Exodus, though his footsteps were not seen. And then, shortly after that mighty deliverance after the Exodus, God very famously, very well known story reveals himself to Moses when he passes by him in the cleft of a rock. Moses had asked to see God's face. God says, no, stand here in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by you. The Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh in your presence. This Hebrew word Yahweh, we translate Lord, is rendered in the Greek with the phrase, I am. I am will pass by you. Back to Mark. Mark in chapter 6, writing in Greek, explains in verse 50 that Jesus reassures them as he passes by them walking on the water by literally saying, take heart, literally in the Greek, I am. Take heart, I am. 
by saying I am, by passing by them while walking on the water, Jesus is associating himself with deep, rich, Old Testament associations with God himself. Jesus is showing us that he is, in fact, the creator God and the God who delivered his people during the Exodus. The disciples have seen Jesus teach with unheard authority. They've seen him heal the sick and cast out demons and forgive sins, which only God can do, calm storms, miraculously multiply bread in the wilderness like God did in the Old Testament. Jesus had given them a mountain of evidence pointing to who he was. But God had used other humans to do miracles in the past. And the disciples are strict monotheists, right? They know that Jesus is human, and so they're still struggling with exactly who he is. They haven't gotten their heads around the fact that this human could also at the same time be God himself. And so Jesus gives them even more compelling evidence of just who he is. The disciples' problem is that they didn't have any categories for this. Right? Our problem is that we can become too easily inoculated to this. Right? We've heard it so often that it doesn't mean anything to us anymore. We affirm the doctrine. But it's so familiar that we lose the wonder and the significance that this man, Jesus, could be God. And so first, faith is recognizing who Jesus is. He is God. And that's critical, but that's only part of it. Faith is also acting on that knowledge, acting on it. The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones explained that it's not enough to say we have faith. We must apply faith. We must relate it to our lives. He goes on to say, it is a poor type of Christianity that this wonderful faith with respect to salvation that has this wonderful faith with respect to salvation and then whimpers and cries when confronted with the daily trials of life. We must apply our faith. There is no circumstance or condition in this life which should lead a Christian to worry. Really? Those are strong words. No circumstance? Well, He's not trying to beat us up for our worry. He's trying to encourage us with the hope that comes through faith in Christ. And so if you struggle with anxiety, with worry, don't, don't feel condemned by this. What I want you to hear from me today is that there's hope, right? You can experience peace through faith in Christ. In light of all that's going on in our world in this age of anxiety, that we live in, we need faith like Lloyd-Jones is talking about. How do the disciples react when they see Jesus walking on the water? Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost, understandably so. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified, right? Again, they have no categories for a person walking on water. Only God does that, and so they think it's not real, like there's a ghost or something, they're devout monotheists. They know Jesus is a man. They're still very much in process of getting their heads around the fact that this man can also be God, and so they're thoroughly frightened. They scream. They're terrified. Jesus immediately seeks to calm their fear. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. I am. It is I. 
don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am God. Don't be afraid. Jesus is pointing out the difference that understanding who he is should make in our lives, the difference that should make in our lives. Jesus is God, the same God who created the universe by the power of his word. Jesus is that word. The same God who parted the Red Sea and defeated Pharaoh's army. The same God who stopped the Jordan from flowing and led Israel through to the promised land. And now this God continues to show his power and love and mercy and grace and teaching and healing and forgiving and delivering. And he'll reinforce that at the end of our passage today in verses 53 to 56 as he continues to do more of the same as soon as he gets to the other side of the lake. Do you want to know the secret to overcoming anxiety? It's recognizing that God is and that he is with you. God is and he is with you. That's what Paul was getting at in Philippians 4 when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone The Lord is at hand. How in the world could the Apostle Paul say that it is reasonable to rejoice always? Doesn't he know we live in a broken world? Doesn't he know that we're faced with danger all around us? Yeah, he does. He's experienced it more than we have. It's only possible if the Lord is at hand, if God is is with us. And because God is with us, Paul continues in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It makes no sense to not be stressed at all the pressures of life unless unless there's a God who has the whole world in his hands and who cares for us. The world is not out of control. You can't control it, but he can. And so we need to trust him, to depend on him by going to him in prayer. And when we do that, Scripture says, promises, will experience his supernatural peace. The Apostle Peter, who was in that boat, who eventually learned this lesson, even though he didn't get it then, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. He cares for you. God cares for you. God cares for you. But Peter's still very much in process. He didn't get it yet. Neither did the other disciples. Mark says that he climbed in the boat with them. The wind died down. Calm. Again, another miracle. They were completely amazed. Verse 52, for they had not, (laughs) strange phrase, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What in the world does that mean? They didn't understand about the loaves. 
Mark explains that they didn't get what he was doing by walking on water because they didn't understand what he did by providing manna in the wilderness, bread in the wilderness. They didn't make the connection that this is God with them. They failed to act with faith because they failed to recognize fully who Jesus was. And the reason, Mark says, is that their hearts were hardened. In the Bible, the heart is the root of a person, right? Their intellectual, emotional, moral life, it's the core of who they are. And so hardness of heart is a lack of spiritual perception. It's not allowing faith and trust in God to shape our thinking or our emotions or our decisions. It's a spiritual stupor that fails to recognize God and let that reality shape how we respond to the circumstances in our lives. The solution to spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness comes by continually being exposed to Jesus. The disciples will get it over time. It's a process. But the more they hang out with Jesus, eventually, particularly after his resurrection, it becomes obvious the penny drops. The disciples struggle with this in chapter 7, but then in chapter 8, Peter makes his famous confession. But even then, he's still in process. Faith is a journey, but it grows. Our faith grows when we recognize who Jesus is and act on it. We make a decision to trust and to live accordingly. And so let me ask you, what circumstance in your life has God in his providence, this God who is in control of all things, how has he woven a circumstance in your life to bring you to this point, an opportunity to step out in faith and trust him? What truth about God do you need to remember and rest in right now? to gain the perspective that you need in order to take courage and not be afraid. Jesus gives them this remarkable miracle to help the disciples better see who he is, and we get to benefit from their lesson. They'll get it in time. They will. And when they do, they'll also learn to trust him with crazy, difficult circumstances that I can only imagine that would cause normal people to become nervous wrecks Threats from religious leaders, threats from political leaders, imprisonment, beatings, and eventually all all of the 11 that remain will die for their faith in Jesus except one who will simply be boiled in oil. They get it eventually. Over time, as their blind spots are filled in with more recognition of God, as they act on that recognition, and we grow the same way. Every one of us has our own blind spots where we're not trusting God, we don't recognize God. We need more dependence, more trust, because he cares for us. One place we're often not getting it is in those pressure points in our lives. We want relief, but we don't get it. He wants to do something bigger. The pressure point is a symptom of the bigger issue that God may be dealing with in your life. The waves are buffeting the boat for a reason, and the reason that the Lord may send you into a storm is to show you his character, his nature, his purpose, ultimately, to comfort you, to comfort you. What are you going through right now that if you saw it with eyes of faith is an opportunity to rejoice in the Lord always because you know that the Lord is at hand 
in your life. Tim Keller has said that we will be as anxiety-free as we are disciplined to remember and apply his identity to our current circumstances. He loves you more than you love yourself. He knows your needs better than you know your own, and he lays down his life for his sheep. That's how much he cares. So cast your anxieties on him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who is patient with us. Like the disciples, so often we don't get it. So often we get twisted around by our circumstances. We fret, we worry, we, we, we doubt your goodness, your ability to do anything in our lives. Lord, forgive us. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we come to understand who he is. Thank you that that translates into the peace of Christ which surpasses understanding that guards our hearts and minds in him. So Lord, show us Jesus. Help us to fall more in love with him and help us to rest and trust for your glory that we might reflect your goodness in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as we reflect on what Steve just reminded us, I'd like us to all just kind of close our eyes and think about whatever we're going through right now, whatever challenge, whatever trial, whatever weight, and remember what, Pete, what Steve reminded us this morning. God is here. God is with you. The God who created you spoke a word and this creation was brought into existence is with you. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, who conquered the grave, is with you. Just let that sink in. Let it wash over your mind like the water that cleanses, that relieves, that brings peace. He never leaves. While it may feel that he is far away, he tells us that he never leaves. He is here. He is here. He is with you. He always will be.